Hey, there you go. There's a good one. Uh, we're not going to be talking about clo clothes. We'll be talking about cloths. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> that was a typo, but. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Model Car Podcast. I'm Justin. And I'm John. And today we're going to be talking about sanding and polishing techniques. How are you doing, John? Yeah, no complaints today. <laughs> Unless you count the snowstorm that's raging outside, but that's outside. I'm inside, nice and warm and dry, so. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us and not shoveling the driveway yet. <laughs> Done it once, we'll do it again. <laughs> Uh, we'll get right into it. Uh, fresh paint news from the hobby. Uh, our, the couple things, they're probably not really fresh news, uh, but things that I found recently. I got the new scale auto came in last week and uh, flicked over to the back of it. Tamiya has got a Ford GT kit that they're uh, making. I haven't seen the kit yet, uh, but I did Google it and find a... A picture of what that the trees tree breakdown looks like and uh, that's got me kind of excited I, I was really interested to see that the the, the body is a multi-body so i think that's going to alleviate a lot of the painting problems that became inherent in the design of the ravel snap kit a little bit uh, that they came out with a year or so ago uh, have you seen anything on this one john uh beyond what you have not really i mean i've you know i've guessed seen something on Facebook about it, but that's about it. <laughs> if it were going to be realistically priced, I'd buy one, but it's a Tamaya, so no. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that's going to be the big question, especially when the kit's out there already. What's the price point going to be for that one? Well, I imagine $50 or so US, if not more, so uh, yeah, no. <laughs> do, you, do you have the Revell kit? I do have the Revell kit, and I'm... I can work with it. Let's put it that way. I know that I'll have to disassemble it to, or half disassemble it to get it to the point where, for, that uh, I can work with it for painting. But hey, 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Just a little bit sometimes. Yeah, it looks, it looks like a nice kit, though. I've got a link at the, uh, that'll be in the show notes if anybody wants to go and see what, what it looks like. There's a couple of examples of the built kit and uh, uh, and a picture that shows what all the sprues look like. So I think that's going to be a neat kit if it's uh, affordable enough. Hopefully it's not going to be one of those $100 Tamiya kits again. Mm, I hope not. I had a nice visit to my local hobby shop. Uh, and, you know, this it's, it's always fun to go into a hobby shop and see kits on the shelf that I knew nothing about. I'd not heard any rumors or anything. They just kind of showed up. The first one was a Chevrolet police van. Uh, one of the old vintage AMT kits that looks like it's been re-released. Uh, have you seen anything of this one, or do you know anything about it, John? No, I was sort of surprised. As I told you a bit earlier, I noticed it on a website the other day and said, wow, when did that? When did they sneak that one out on us? And But that's that's okay. I'm looking at the picture here that you provided, and oh, yeah, so it's got New York City Police Department markings, and that's cool, but... At the Canadian price, eh, I think I can with my rescue version I have from a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Are they actually, I can't see on my screen uh, the way I've got it laid out at the moment. Are they actually New York City or are they just a generic police van? Uh, police Department, City of New York. It's at, it's at an angle, so I can't say if the badge is 100% right, but it looks it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's, that's always nice. I uh, prefer real city police to mythical motor city police i think they were doing for a little while yes yes i agree on that uh the the next kit that uh, i have seen uh, some variants on this is uh from the jr model company which uh, i think is also amt made uh but they're doing some details and uh, fairly unique vintage uh, nascar kits uh, the one that was on the shelf here was the Donnie Allison 1979 Oldsmobile. Uh, really neat looking. The Hawaiian Tropic 
car. Uh, looks really neat in the box. I, it's, it's kind of an expensive kit, and I can't say for that reason that it's going to be make it to my build list. And of course, you know, being a West Coast Canadian, I'm probably as geographically far from NASCAR as, as you can get. Um, <laughs> I, are you a NASCAR fan, and, and does this call out to you? Uh, I'm not so much that generation of a, of a NASCAR fan, but it is interesting. And if somebody were, for example, to give me, give me one, I'd build it. But at the, again, at the Canadian pricing, that's not something I have to have. No fault of the kits. It's just, it's kind of expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looks really neat. I, you know, there's, there's a temptation in there just because it's a little different. But uh... Yeah, that, that's it. I mean, I, as far as I know, they're brand new tools, so it's got to be pretty nice. And I know from the one that we've seen in the most recent scale auto. Yeah, it does look pretty darn nice. Yeah. It's, it certainly, uh, sat nicely on, on for the pictures. Yeah. It, it was a really beautiful. Yeah. Now, whether they tweaked it or not, I don't know. I haven't, haven't had the opportunity to read the magazine yet, but, uh, yeah. I'll find out shortly. <laughs> I think one of the things that really stood out to me were the, uh, metallic, uh, decals for the numbers on the side. Yeah, that looks spectacular. <laughs> yeah, those are those are hard to do uh, to get that to, to get that proper shine to it. And it looks like they've done a good job of that. Yep. The next kit that I saw, I thought of you. <laughs> uh, the Can-Am Garage, of course, needs needs more and more tools and accessories and accoutrements. The weekend wrenching kit from AMT. So that looked, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, like a vintage version of the Fujimi Tools kit. Yeah, I would agree on that. And, well, you thought of me, thanks. But <laughs> I already got one. And the second one, there, there's already two in the series. I've already got both of them on reserve at my mail order shop. So, yeah, they'll be here soon enough. <laughs> Have you seen anything on these? I, I'm assuming they're at 25th scale. How, how do they look? I saw it well. It's just, it's an illustration on the side of the box, right? It's is it or is it a photograph? You've seen it in person. I haven't, so you tell me. Yeah, I, do, I don't actually recall picking up the box and looking too much at the details. Okay, so. I was kind of I was kind of rushing. I had my wife in the car, so uh, one has a limited time in a model shop before one gets in trouble. Yes, they do. <laughs> so I real I really don't know. I mean, I look at it. You know, it looks like an illustration to me, and looks good, but. We shall see. <laughs> the other thing that we've talked about previously uh, that I'd, I'd never seen is the uh, Tamiya. Uh, they make the panel detail line uh, bottles. Panel line accent color. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for correcting that. No, no problem. Uh, we, I, I know both of us used the black on that one, and uh, I did not know there were other colors. And apparently there's five different colors now available. I'm not sure how long those have been out. It's the first time I've ever seen them. They range from browns to light grays and grays, as well as the black. So uh, if you're a fan of those, I know, I know you use them. Oh, yeah. I love my black. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, do you have any use for any of these other colors, though, is the question. Well, I mean, I guess I can see that uh, the black might be too dark, say, on a lighter colored car, but I don't, I can't see myself you know, doing a white car to begin with, <laughs> or at least a white muscle car. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> you just need lots of rubber spray up uh, on the back on the back wheels. Yeah, but you see, for six months of the year, I see white everywhere I look outside. So, <laughs> unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, if you have a white car on the driveway, you might not see it till spring. Well, yeah, it's a snowbank on four wheels, and no, sorry, <laughs> not unless I have to. <laughs> That's funny. I never thought about that. Geographically, we see a, a huge amount of white cars out here. I guess they all must get sold in BC. Or if you, for example, if you travel to Florida. God. <laughs> I was there 10 years or so ago with my dad. It seemed like every, every other car was white. The only place that I really recall seeing any colors was driving by a GM dealer, and there was must have been a dozen or 18 Corvettes all out at the street all with their hoods open and in just about every color you can think of that the Corvette came in at that time. It's like, my God, <laughs> they make other colors in Florida. <laughs> yeah. I think our, our popular colors are white and kind of a silvery gray. Yeah. The silver gray is quite popular around here too, but not white. <laughs> 
Uh, have you seen anything uh, else new uh, in terms of model releases or announcements? Not that I can say. No, I've, I mean, no. <laughs> I don't recall anything being announced for that. You know, this will be out next week or whatever. Nope, haven't seen that in the last week or so, so or two weeks. Uh, certainly interesting when uh, when you when you find things that you didn't even know about, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, like that police fan. That's still. Hmm. <laughs> I I was talking to the owner of the hobby shop. Uh, I was giving him a little bit of a hard time because my Chevelle hasn't come in yet, and apparently he was saying that there are perhaps some logistical challenges. Let's call it. Well, there's two or three logistical challenges that I've heard of as it applies to the Chevelle and Mustang. So. Yeah, he he said some hit. Uh, I guess they're all coming into the U.S. first. Some hit to the East Coast, but uh, there's been there's been none out here on the West Coast. Did you get yours yet? No, I didn't, and I got an email from my mail order shop explaining to me why. He was told that it was first come, first served on the Chevelle and Mustang, and that the American distributors were getting them before the Canadians. So until the American market is satisfied, uh, we don't get any. Well, that's not quite fair, but hey. I guess it works. <laughs> you know, there's probably a really bad joke about German efficiency somewhere in there, and I'm no, hopefully not going to offend any of our German listeners by saying it. Yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> no, uh, you know, the, Ger the Germans are new at this. I don't think they were thinking that there would be quite so much demand for these two new issues. And thus, also, as per my email from my supplier, said that, uh, you know, they, they misjudged. They didn't have anywhere near the number that they needed to. And, well, thus, right now, Canada loses out. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's a little disappointing for us that want to, you know, get our hands on the kit and get into it. The other side of that is I think that's a really good sign for the hobby, though, you know, with all the consolidations and everything like that that there is still such a demand for new kits and new tooling that they can sell out. Um, and, and that hopefully is a, is a sign that, you know, there's, there's still an active market for developing new kits and, and hopefully we'll give the new owners uh, the incentive to continue to invest in, in, in brand new tooling. Let's hope it works out that way. <laughs> let's uh, talk about our workbenches. Uh, let's talk about your workbench. Because, yeah, I, I, full disclaimer, my, my wife broke her foot last weekend. So uh, I've, I've been playing uh, uh, the daddy role of uh, looking after, after our daughter and uh, cooking dinners and trying to help out as much as I can. And uh, that does take away from any possible time on, on the model bench. Yep, it sure does. What's, what's, uh, what's, what have you been working on, John? Uh, in the past week, I've been working on concentrating on paint jobs. And I'm sitting there thinking, what the heck have I worked on in the past week? Well, there's the Yamaha, which is now in Red Bull Blue. Two coats of it. It's ready for clear. There's a certain Tamiya Lexus LFA that was originally going to be Lexus Orange, which is a pretty wild color for a Lexus, but it was available on the car. And now it's going to end up being a believe it or not, a Ferrari color, Sebring Blue, because I ended up polishing through both the clear and the color on the Lexus, and I didn't have any more of that color, and I also looked at it and said, you know, this, this color is really not working for me on it, so <laughs> Sebring Blue. <laughs> and I think we'll be talking about polishing a little bit longer, so this will be a, a very good uh, discussion to have. Yeah, there might be good timing for it. And I think the week before that, I spent my modeling time working on the Yamaha. I'm trying to remember now, and I don't know. <laughs> I must have done something. <laughs> so is, is the Yamaha and the Red Bull, uh, I'm assuming that's just a solid blue with uh, decals, or is there a two-tone paint? No, it's just a solid blue bike. Oh, that's nice. And thank God, because <laughs> I'm not equipped <laughs> to handle motorcycle parts for painting. God, was that a challenge to mount those pieces for painting? <laughs> what what did you end up doing? Well, originally I, I mounted everything that I could on pegs. 
in theory, to make it easier for myself. But in some cases, the tape that was holding the part to the peg said, yeah, no, I'm not going to hold 100%. So it would cause the part to flutter as the airbrush sprayed on it. And no, that's not a good way to get a good finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for the second round of, of the color, I made sure that those parts that gave me trouble before, they're not giving me trouble this time. <laughs> they ended up being taped to a empty spray can and yeah, that works. Let that side dry, flip the part over and paint the other side. Yep. <laughs> and I'm much happier now. Do you ever glue uh, your pegs to the inside of the parts? No. Nope, nope, nope. Never done that. I know I can, but my pegs are, believe it or not, are bamboo shoots or bamboo skewers, I should say. So, uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I've got uh, some round, uh, thin wall diameter aluminum tubing, and it actually works really well. Sometimes I'll put a little bit of super glue on the end. Uh, like a gap filling super glue. Yep. Put it on, and then when it's because it's round, there's not a huge amount of surface tension. No, there isn't. <laughs> and when you're done, you could just you could just uh, snap them off as long as the the part isn't too delicate. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Sure. That would be tempting fate in my books. <laughs> I'm trying that. <laughs> and then you wonder why I don't finish as much as you do. <laughs> oh no, I have no wonders. <laughs> Everybody works at their own speed, at their own whatever when it comes to the hobby. And remember, it is just a hobby. As far as I'm concerned, you got to have fun <laughs> when you're doing it. Otherwise, eh, not so much. Yeah, I'm I'm deadly with that super glue, but that's uh, that's going to be a whole discussion for our our section on glues that we'll have. Well, yeah, we'll we'll get to that someday on glues. Exactly. All right. Uh, did you get any progress on the Mac? Nope, haven't touched that at all. Well, wait a minute. What? A Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Boy, that's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> Last time on this channel. Oh, yes. The, the, the wheels and tires are now semi-permanently mounted on the truck, which is good because it allows, it allowed me to properly mock up where the cab needs to be positioned on top of the frame. Yay. <laughs> I've decided that at this point that I need to concentrate on making Sure, it's a truck first, then worrying about the tow truck body second, at this point anyway. <laughs> okay, this will avoid any uh, fitment uh, errors and changes. Yes, that's exactly it. Make sure the tow body isn't too long for the available space after you put the cab on. Got it. Got it. That's a big project. Mm. It'll keep me busy, let's put it that way. <laughs> exactly. Okay, uh, let's move on to our feature section today. Sanding and polishing. Now, really, it's going to be more about polishing, but uh, sanding, you know, we're using sanding pads for polishing, so I figured we should probably cover a little bit of what we're doing. So I guess the first question, what is, uh, let's focus it a little bit more on polishing. What is polishing? John? Uh, polishing, in my book, would be, is something you do to paint. You polish paint to smooth out the, the, that layer of paint so that your next layer of paint can hopefully go on as smooth, if not smoother than the first layer or the previous layer, I should say. For my, again, you know, if you want to differentiate between sanding and polishing, for me, I will sand a body to smooth it out before primer, but polishing is something I do to paint. Okay, interesting. I, I make a slightly different uh, differentiation in my mind. Uh, polishing to me is finish and sanding is, is prep and also intermediate coats. I, I do a lot of intermediate sanding. So that's, uh, that's kind of the, the slight difference, but I think our, th our theories are probably somewhat, our practices, I should say, are, are probably very similar in terms of how we actually do that. Uh, one thing about sanding, you know, I think everybody is probably familiar with, the sandpaper that you get for uh, doors and painting, uh, you know, walls and home homework around the house. Uh, what we're talking about is always going to be wet sanding, which is uh, uses a special wet sandpaper, wet dry sandpaper, uh, at usually at a higher, uh, a finer grit, a higher numbered grit that you can actually dip into water that will 
uh, avoid the pooling of, uh, of the clumping of paint that will then scratch the rest of your, of your paintwork. Um, is there a better way to describe wet sanding? I think I'm kind of making a fluff of it, John. <laughs> I think you're doing actually pretty good because you see, I don't wet sand. So what you're describing works from the point of view of figuring out which papers, which papers, some of it will tell you, you know, this is meant for wet sanding, but I've always done it based on the look of the actual paper itself. You know, the darker brown paper for me is, is meant for dry sanding and the greener paper at least around here is what I would use for is what I tend to use anyway for my dry sanding because it's a finer grit on top. Huh, interesting. Okay, so I want to come back to this. You don't wet sand because I'm really curious about this. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> uh, so, so let's go over the tools and then we'll kind of get into the process. Perhaps I think we'll cover that a little bit there. Uh, the other thing that I think we should cover is chemical polishes. So those are things, uh, the polishing compounds that we get, uh, and we'll we'll cover those a little bit. So I guess uh, sandpaper, you've talked about the differences between the wet and dry. Uh, the automotive, I use a lot of automotive sandpaper uh, that you can get. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, that that out here is more gray. Uh, you've got the brown, dry sandpaper and the wet sandpaper. They come in uh, usually higher grits. They probably start the dry sandpaper can come in anything from an 80 grit, which is perfect for taking uh, a coat of wood <laughs> down if you're if you're building something out of wood, uh, but will absolutely destroy uh, any sort of model finish that you would like. Where do you start with your with your sandpaper? What grit do you you start at? Well, believe it or not, I don't actually use much sandpaper anymore. I have a lot of it here. I just don't really use it. I will tend to reach for my sand, my sanding, uh, my sanding sticks first off just to start with. And then I will generally start with a course if it's, if I'm working on prepping a body for primer and I would go from coarse to, to medium to fine and then ultra fine. And by then, yep, ready for primer. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I do use sanding sticks uh, quite a bit when when I'm doing uh, prep work. Uh, and then uh, I use uh, a, a, a wet sandpaper. Uh, I've, I have some starting at about 1,000 grit, and I really like a 2,000 grit that I got from one of the auto uh, prep uh, places that, that I'm at. And I tend to sand all of my intermediate coats. If, I'm do a, if I shoot a primer coat... I'll come back and knock off all the high spots with a with a quick sand of a two thousand grit uh, wet wet paper that I use, mm -hmm. dip it in some mm -hmm. warm water with a little bit of soap, uh, and and take off uh, those intermediate uh, grits or, or the intermediate uh, coats. Um, the micro mesh. Uh, I'm assuming you use uh, different micro mesh. Uh, pads and sandpapers at the higher grits from say 3200 up yeah that's yeah that's uh yeah that's what that's where i'm polishing my primer at is with my 3200 grit polishing pad actually from not from micro mesh but it's the micro mesh product but it's sold i believe by well i know micro mesh used to and i think it's stevens international still packages and sells them just as polishing pads and what i swear by so those are the little square pads, right? That you use a lot of. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Do you do you ever use the polishing cloths? I started I started with them years ago, and I used them until I discovered the polishing pads, and I said, "Well, <laughs> I don't need yeah. to use these when I when this is perfect." <laughs> I used to uh, you have some of those with the and you had a little rubber backing that it came with, so that you could flatten it as much as you could. Yeah, the little. The little rubber block and yep. <laughs> I, I still have some on my on my bench, but I tend to I, I probably much like you, I tend to use the sanding pads up to the twelve thousand grit when I go that high. Yeah. Oh yeah. What what polishing compounds do you use? Do you have any favorites? Uh I've always had good luck with the Tamaya polishing and it's just the basic I think it's the basic one. Mm -hmm. I'd have to look because I don't use a lot of it. Recently, I had some uh, problems with the paint job on a model, and I asked around on 
the Spotlight Hobbies message board, and I was told that McGuire's Scratch X is a. It, does that sound right? Yeah, they've got a number of products. Okay, and it's in a black tube almost, and I tried it. Yeah, I could see myself really liking that. <laughs> it didn't fix my problem for me, but <laughs> I did like it. So. Marquires has a whole system of, I think it's about five different uh, polishes that you can get into. I think a lot of those are overkill unless I've really got an ugly paint job or I'm trying to get an absolutely fully reflective paint. Uh, I tend not to like the Meguiar's. I, I do have a good chunk of those. They're numbered. There's like a nine and a 22. And yep. I can't remember exactly. I've got a list of them on my modeling bench of which order I have to use them in. <laughs> uh, I do like the Novus. The, the Novus number two particularly is really, really good if I have any issues or even after I, I finish sanding, I really like that. Like you, I've got the the Tamiya stuff. Uh, I I actually have uh, a little bottle of the Tamiya polishing stuff in uh, my kit that goes with me to. It goes on the road if I go to a model show. Okay. Because you never know when you're going to need something just to clean up. You know, you end up with a little bit of a mess on something. You just want to clean it a little bit. Mm -hmm. It also works well for that if you go very softly. Do you use any other automotive products? Uh, well, you see, you're a Novus guy. I'm a Meguiar's guy when it comes to <laughs> all my finishing supplies. I do have, like you, I have the Novus products, but I've never really gotten into liking them, basically because I know they're not paintable, as in you can't paint directly over top of them. If you end up in trouble, <laughs> then you basically have to strip the, or strip the Novus products off before you can shoot primer or paint or anything like that. I've never had a problem. I think it's only number one that you've got to be careful of. I think the number two is fine. I've never had a problem painting over it. Hmm. Well, maybe we'll have to experiment with this. Regardless, I use their, uh, it's in their professional line, the tan bottles. I use their show car glaze and I use their high-tech yellow wax in that order. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I've got uh, a number of those. Is I'm just trying to think what it is. It's a purple bottle. Uh, I can't even remember what, what the name of it is. Uh, that's kind of a, a Finnish, uh, Finnish, uh, wizards. Yeah. It's, it, it will do like a final, um, shine as well as a final polish. So it's kind of an all in one, uh, product. And, uh, I just can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I forgot to write it down. Uh, like any, I think any good modeler, I have an entire row at the back of my modeling bench of plastic jugs full of various chemicals. If there's ever a fire in my house, I think I'm going to have to give the firemen specific uh, <laughs> women's labels for, for how to battle it because of all the chemicals that I have kicking around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my case is more paints than anything else, but yeah, they wouldn't like me much if I had a fire. <laughs> yeah. I, I think lacquer thinner burns pretty quickly. Oh yeah. Be gone before they get here. <laughs> What do you use for cloths? I mean, because uh, we, we, everybody focuses a lot much on polishing products. Uh, what about cloths? Do you have a preference? or? Uh, I used to be using microfiber cloths, but sort of they sort of ran their context with me, if you get what I mean. That, no, these aren't that as good as I would like. I found that between them or the, pro, or the Meguiar products, something was leaving a scratch on my surface, and I said, well, I know it's not the... Meguiar's, so <laughs> I eliminated the microfiber cloths and went to some standard cloth, cotton cloths that I got at Canadian Tire, at least I think they are. I'd have to, I'd have to look it all up again, but as far as I know, they're 100% cotton, mm -hmm. and they work really well as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think I have some of those. They come in a big uh, white uh, soft package. I've got some of those. I think I only have three, though, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. They came in a set of three. Okay. Then that's what I got. <laughs> uh, they, I used to like the yellow microfiber ones that uh, Canadian Tire had, and then probably five, seven years ago, they changed them to an orange color, and I find that the microfibers aren't as good as they used to be. Oh, dear. Yeah, that's... The yellow ones used to be pretty good. Nice when they change stuff on us. <laughs> I still have uh, a, a 
a stash because you know I'm a model car builder. I have a big stash of everything. <laughs> uh, you know, paint paint that I haven't opened from ten years ago, and how many kits. But uh, I, I still have a stash of these microfiber uh, ones that I enjoy using, and they're pretty good. Uh, I do have a soft cotton, and I tend to find I use the the soft cotton uh, cloths more for uh, poli- uh, not polishes but uh, waxes and things like that. The reason for that for me is I tend to find they buff a little nicer. But when it comes to the cutting, I, I like the microfiber. It is a little bit, perhaps a little bit more abrasive, uh, which is maybe where you were getting your scratches from. Probably was. What, what do you do with your cloths once you're, you use? Do you wash them or just chuck them out? I mean, recycle them. I haven't run I haven't run into it yet, and I'm sort of wondering, well, what, what can I do? Can I throw them in the, in the uh, clothes washer? I don't know. <laughs> I certainly, if I was to throw them in the clothes washer, they're not going in with my regular clothes because I don't want my my pants and jeans to come out smelling like, well, <laughs> chemicals. Yeah, that's okay. That's just your hands that usually get uh, st- smell of, of chemicals after playing. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That I can live with. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling that's a conversation that will just happen, and we won't discuss that with my wife. Oh, no, no. That's one of those cases where everybody in the house doesn't need doesn't necessarily need to know that. Yeah, we're, we're putting all of our chemicals in the in the washing machine. I think when when I finally run out of these yellow microfibers, I may actually be tempted to try a, a load of washing. But it's uh, it's always a you know that environmental versus having something that is non contaminated to paint with. You know, you put so much effort into your paint that you don't want to risk uh, anything that could be contaminated. You know, I, I know I've got like a, a bunch of old t-shirts and things like that. I know you can use those. I tend to buy, you know, the, the, the cotton rags from, from, you know, usually Canadian tire up here or, uh, from, from an auto show or an auto store, just for the fact that I, I don't want to run the risk of something scratching a paint job. Yeah, that's right. Cause that's, we all know it's, <laughs> The last thing we want to do, we put all the work into into uh, the paint jobs and the finish of our models and scratches just because we're being too cheap. No, <laughs> we shouldn't do that. Yeah, we can be cheap about other things. It's all good. Yep. Um. So let's let's go into our process a little bit. We've we I know we talked about it. Uh, I want to talk about the prep. Uh, the model prep and the intermediate coats. This uh, we've kind of touched on already. Uh, I, I do you. What do you do for intermediate coats? Uh, I know that you you prep your your cars with uh, the sanding sticks. Uh, do you do anything to work on the basic bare plastic? I will start by getting rid of the mold lines and also smoothing down. The pot, the panels, the body panels themselves, because the molding process does create slight raised edges near every engraved line, like, for example, a door. So for me, I sand that all down first with a coarse sanding pad. And I were, and I'm, I have to stop and think about this now. What was the, how did I do it the last time I did it? <laughs> it goes from there, it would go to a medium, which I believe is an orange grit. Then it goes to a light gray, which is their fine. And then I would go to their red which is their ultrafine. Then primer gets shot on the car. It gets dried. It gets polished with 3200 grit polishing pad. And then I go, obviously then I go on to color and the color will also get shot, get polished with a 3200 grit polishing pad or maybe a 4,000 depending on how happy I am with it. And that continues until I get to my final coat of clear and with the coat of clear we would again start at 3200 or 4000 and then work our way up to well till whatever i'm satisfied with sometimes it's 6000 sometimes it's 8000 sometimes it's 12000 it just depends okay excellent uh i i think it's a very similar process that that i have do you when you when you do the polishing pads for your intermediate coats do you use those wet or do you use those dry I use it all dry, like I said before. I know I'm weird. <laughs> I'm going to go with daring. Uh, you must go through a lot of uh, polishing pads then. Every year when I go to In-N-L East, I always 
to make sure to pick up at least one or two packages of the polishing pads from uh, one of the vendors there. So you tell me. <laughs> That's not as much as I was expecting. I, I, I tend to be... Uh, mine get thrown out. I end up cutting mine into quarters just because then I can do a little bit more detail, work with them, uh, and get into the corners. And I like having the sharp edges on on the pads. Uh, and I always use mine mine wet. Uh, and then, you know, after, uh, you know, I'll probably use a quarter on a car and it tends to get tossed afterwards, usually because I, I, I tend to always worry that the grit from the sanding process can get stuck in there and that'll transfer to the next one. And that's even using it wet. So I'm, uh, uh, you, you, you have uh, a different approach than me, which is entirely the fun of, of discussing all this because there is no one way to build a car. No, that's right. There's no, <laughs> you might in a way that doesn't work so well for you, but <laughs> not necessarily the wrong way. Yeah, I've got lots of wrong ways, but uh, this yes, there's no one right way. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, I tend to wet sand my intermediate coats. My my process is very much like John's. Uh, I tend to wet sand my primer coats with a 2000 grit uh, wet dry sandpaper, and then I always use that wet and rinse the car before it goes back into into the uh, the drying booth for the next coat of paint. Uh, do you have any process that's different between metallic and regular paint? Do you do you sand intermediate coats uh, of metallic paints? Uh, I do. Yes, I do. I will sand intermediate coats of metallic too because you, you're told you can't sand it for you can't sand it at all. Well, no, that's not true. You can sand it, but you can't really sand your final coat. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the challenge. <laughs> Yeah. What what do you do if you have uh, dust or uh, other goobers on a paint job? Uh, particularly, uh, I'm thinking most of the time if you have if you have that and you're sanding in between, doesn't become really that much of an issue. But if you're if you have a metallic paint uh, and you're you're shooting your final color coat and you happen to get dust spots, I'm not sure if you get such things. <laughs> what, wh how do you fix those? <laughs> Well, then you polish it. You polish it with whatever the 3200 or the 4000 grit, and guess what? You get to paint it again. <laughs> do you spot paint or do a full second coat? Uh, I ca I have successfully, believe it or not, done spot, spot well, not so much a spot touch-up, but as a panel touch-up of a metallic paint before and got told at the show, you know, you were in the running for best paints. Like, what? Damn, if you knew how much work was in that paint job. <laughs> but we won't tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of done the same. Usually it's like uh, on the middle of the roof, you'll end up with a, with a dog hair or something like that. And dog hair. <laughs> dog shouldn't be allowed in our workshops, but. <laughs> I, it's, I think the hair just follows me everywhere around the house. Yeah, sort of mine, so I can't. <laughs> I shouldn't talk. <laughs> The only thing I can say for certain is it's not a head of hair, uh, a piece of hair from my own head because I'm bald. Well, yeah, it's not yours then. Although I suppose you could try and blame the wife, but <clears throat> probably yeah. the wrong color. So I, I usually end up with fluff in the, uh, you know, in the surfaces that are exposed while it's drying. Part of the reason I use, a, I, I go straight into a dehydrator to kind of avoid that as much as possible. Uh, but like you, I've I've sanded down and we'll we'll kind of do uh repaint just the roof the the panel or or the hood or wherever it is that that's gone there as much as i can uh i hate having to go through and do the whole thing but i that is a caution you've got to be very cautious with metallic paints particularly to make sure that you're shooting from the same angle so that your your colors look the same if you if you have more coats uh particularly some some metallics that have a little bit of translucency to them, you can end up with panels that are different colors if you're not careful, and if you're going too thick on your on your result on your next uh, paint coats. Yep. All right. Uh, what about polishing? Polishing is a big topic, and I, I think uh, the process in itself. Uh, we've we've covered parts of it. 
is, uh, are there any techniques? I, I know you say you start with a 32, 4,000, depending on what it looks like and work your way up as it goes. Uh, what techniques and how do you know where to start? Well, I always start on the, on the horizontal parts as in the hood, the roof, the trunk, because at least in my experience, that's where everybody's looking to see how nice the paint job is. The problem is, of course, that those parts are the easiest ones to do, but <laughs> the easiest ones to make look good. <laughs> yeah, especially on the older cars that didn't have all the uh, lumps and bumps and the, the sharp angles and everything that some of the newer ones do. Yes. Uh, do you uh, are you worried about direction? Uh, like uh, when you when you sand. Uh, so so uh, let's let's talk about maybe talk a little bit about what sanding looks like. Uh, the the process of sanding for me is I want to pick the highest grit that I can get that will knock off all of the texture uh, to get a consistent flat uh, finish on the clear or the finished coat of paint. Is that is that a fair way to say that, John? That's yeah. That's exactly how I would describe that. That's the you obviously, you know, you, we're all looking for the absolutely smooth mirror-like finish to whatever we're putting on the model. So, yeah, that's it. And now, mind you, if you stop and think about things, what we're really doing is is a full finish. But <laughs> <laughs> so I th the the goal of that is obviously to you know if you can if you can use a four thousand, you're going to leave much more paint on the model. Yep. Than a 3200. Yep. And that's going to help you out through that process. So how do you do, how do you make the difference between whether you're going to start with a 32, a 4000, or or whatever you got in between? Well, I will look for whichever section of of that particular model has actually has some texture on it, and I will see. Okay, does for example the 4000 eliminate the texture? If it does then that's what I stay with. But if it doesn't, then I will go back down to a 3200 grit and see if that works. If, again, if it doesn't, then I'd have to be re seriously rethinking my t what I've been doing. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's much that a 3200 grit won't fix. Not when it comes to paint, no. <laughs> uh, the, only, the only problem that then comes in is uh, bur burning through the paint. And uh, you, you were mentioning earlier you've had a recent color change on your Lexus. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what happened there and anything that you could have done differently in hindsight to avoid burn through? <laughs> in hindsight, I could have put a lot more paint or a lot more clear on, but uh, it's, it is what it is. I had chosen that my Lexus LFA, which was going to be in a very wild color, which was known as Lexus Orange, and believe it or not, you could get, of course, it was a, what, a $200,000 car. You could get it in these color, in some pretty wild colors when the cars were brand new. And I decided, well, yeah, orange was going to be it. Well, the more I worked on the car, the less satisfied I became with the finish. And I guess I wasn't paying attention one day when I was polishing, as I ended up polishing through both the color and the clear right down to bare plastic. And I, in at least three locations and I said, okay, this isn't working anymore. <laughs> so it went from being Lexus orange to now being a eighties Ferrari color called uh, Sebring blue. And I am much happier with the look of this car now. <laughs> a happy accident then. Yes. A very, very much a happy accident. As you said, with hindsight, yeah, there should have been a lot more color. Well, there should have been a bit more color on, but that particular bottle of paint, as I recall, it was a little hotter than normal, meaning it wanted to texture the plastic. If I basically say it's, you know, spent more than one second on a given spot. So it was kind of challenging to work with. And the clear, well, I should have put, obviously I should have put a lot more clear on, but I didn't. And well, then we had the happy accident. Where where did you get the burn through? Was that on uh, the angles or on flat parts? I got two. I got burned through on one of the uh, one of the wings. The car act, the kit comes with two different wings plus magnets, so you can assemble it with the wing up or the wing down, and you know change it at your you know go to the show, put the wing up, 
nobody's looking. I'll put the wing down and see if anybody notices. And, <laughs> and there was one, another one around the front wheel opening that I recall, and then both A pillars. And no, <laughs> that's not working. I think I've I've gone through at the same same locations. Not not on that kit, but uh, the wheel wheel archers tend to be one of those areas that are very easy to go through because you have some um, curves to there that can affect how much paint you end up on in the first place. And I tend to be, I've all, you know, I've been like this since for as long as I can remember, I tend to be very heavy handed with things that I do. I have to be think twice when I'm working with bare metal foil, because otherwise not only will I trim the bare metal foil, the excess foil off the body, but I may also put a line right through the paint. And yeah, I don't, don't like to do that. I guess I just plain forgot when I was doing that on the Lexus that I was polishing, that I was being a little too hard. And oh well, what are you gonna do? Do you ever do anything like uh, taping uh, sharp corners or avoiding uh, trim pieces and things like that to avoid burn through? Never done it, but in theory, anything that works on a full size car that you see on the various shows on TV hmm. should work. I've, I've I've done it a couple of times where I've, uh, you know, particularly on the uh, anything that has a really sharp corner because, you know, and to me, that's one of the areas that, that tends to have the biggest problems. Anywhere that is sharp or has a, a, a steep angle to it, the paint will tend to pull away uh, and, and settle onto the, onto the flat panels. Uh, so usually sharp corners of, you know, modern cars sometimes have those. Uh, those are places that I'll sometimes put, uh, to me, a tape works really, really well. A thin piece of that, and you can contour it as well uh, and help avoid the burn through. It also, to me, a tape comes off really nicely. And uh, because I'm I'm usually polishing and sanding wet, uh, it tends to to not really be an issue when, when you get that tape wet. It's not going to leave a bunch of uh, paint goobers for you to move with. <laughs> uh, it's not, it, it's never perfect when you have to do that because obviously you're not polishing out right to the edges uh, that you would like to. But, you know, in, in cases where you, where you have little bits of detail that uh, you know are going to get, uh, be a challenge, it, it is one way that you can avoid that. Are, are there any other tips that you've got as far as uh, avoiding how to how to burn through <laughs> more paint always put on more paint <laughs> i'm sorry but i normally don't do these stupid things so. <laughs> uh don't buy the small can of paint buy extra paint well no i bought more than sufficient paint but i had the opportunity somebody's well the guy who sent me the uh i shouldn't name this <laughs> i shouldn't name i shouldn't use this example but no not this one no <laughs> We're not going to use that one, but let's just say I gave away the the leftover paint because there's still more than enough in that bottle to do at least another car. And I went and gave it away to a friend. So, and I'm not going to say, give me back my paint. <laughs> got it. Got it. So, yeah. So never, never give away the paint until you've got yours polished and, and on wheels. Okay, John, uh, one of the, process the the process of uh, uh polishing certainly can take a, a lot of time and sometimes people don't want to or can't spend that much time polishing their paint job any thoughts on how to make this much more efficient or are there any steps that can be skipped for a quicker build yeah i'm thinking about that for a minute or two now and in my book really no but it's, but then again, you know, that's me. I've got 30 odd years of working on models. Mind you, not that many years since I really learned how to paint courtesy of Norby. That was back in 2005, but this is how I've basically done it ever since for as long as I can remember. So no, <laughs> I've never tried to cheat. Let's put it that way. <laughs> have, have you, you, so you've always gone back to the polishing pads and, and brought, brought it up through there? I may not have, I don't always go up to 12,000 grit, but it depends on what the results are you're trying for. Both, you see, in the case, the reason why the uh, the troubled Panther Pink 70 Roadrunner is getting this much work, and this is the one that I said that I have 
scratches in the finish. <laughs> the reason why it's getting this much work is because both of the other cars in the series, and there's two others, but both are in Torred or Hemi Orange. The finish on those two cars is just mind-boggling, and I want this one to be equally as mind-boggling. So that's why it's going to 12,000 grit. So it all comes down to the level of perfection that you want. Yeah, or the level of perfection that you can live with. or <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I, I've got to admit, some of the things that I've been able to do, uh, if I've had a good paint job, you know, that that looks good, you know, a good five-footer. You, if you're five feet away, it looks pretty good. You get up close, it changes a bit. But uh, I've been able to sometimes strip, uh, knock off the, the paint with... Uh, a 4,000 grit uh, polishing pad, and then just go on to a Novus, a uh, Novus 2, and then a Novus 1, clean things up that way. You're not going to get a, a beautiful showroom finish like you would going through all the steps. But sometimes, you know, if you're just building a quick build for yourself, it's not going into a model contest, or you just want to get something done, uh, you can get, you know, depending on, on what you're starting with, you can sometimes skip a couple of steps to to make things a little quicker for yourself and you know some people enjoy uh doing the model the the polishing process others i think it is a big chore for some people so i i you know it really depends on what result i think that you're trying to get what skips can be what steps can be skipped maybe you can skip some of the you know if you're comfortable at a six thousand or an eight thousand grit uh paint job then you can switch over to a, a, a mild polishing compound and just give it a once over so that would be my only thoughts as far as what you can do to get a get an acceptable paint job while still um, not spending as much time while while doing it yep all right uh we've got a couple of questions this week uh both those come from bob who is on uh, hobby heaven uh message board spotlight hobbies spotlight hobbies spotlight hobbies i haven't been hobby heaven in a long time <laughs> okay i'm feeling old now uh bob who's on uh spotlight hobbies at hct 728 he had a question first about uh how about painting uh the norby method as applied to acrylic water-based enamel or lacquer paint and suggested thinners proportions time before recoat, and drying hints. I think a lot of that we will have covered in the previous episode that, what, is either live now or will be shortly? It hopefully will be live uh, today. We're January, what are we? 20th. I don't even, we're January the 20th, so uh, we will hopefully have that live and hopefully have uh, a lot of those. I think the one question that we may or may not have covered as much, uh, the time for recoat. I think we talked about uh, the paints, the thinners, the proportions. How long before recoat using the Norby method? Well, I generally work my way around the car. You know, as I said before, I start with the horizontal surfaces. Then I will do the passenger side of the car, and then I will do the driver's side of the car. Well, no, the passenger side, the rear end, then the driver's side, then the front end of the car. And by the time I've worked my way around back to where I started, I can already put another coat on. So I don't know if it's five minutes or 10 minutes, however long it takes me to work away, work my way around the car, but that's how long I generally let it dry. But also note, and I, I'll have to give you, <laughs> give you the link that I took up the can of thinner that I use for doing this painting, as it's not just the average garden store cheap stuff from Canadian Tire or AutoZone or whatever. This is high-quality prim primer, thinner, as used by full-size auto body shops, and it is temperature-rated, temperature so it's specific. This is what I use. This is There's a reason why I use it. I've never had any problems with it, with, with even thinking of it being too hot. So... There's a, there's reason for it. <laughs> uh, do you do, I know you have a dehydrator as well. We've talked about when you're using the Norby method, do you use a dehydrator at all? Always. After, after the fed, the fed, after we're done, you know, that particular time in the shop, well, then we go into the dehydrator. It dehydrates. I used to actually let them let everything dehydrate, say for 12 hours at a time 
or 14 hours or however long it was. But now I generally just let it go an hour and that works rather well too. Yeah. <laughs> believe it or not. I, I could believe it. I'm... The, the general idea is with a dehydrator or even if you're not using a dehydrator is let it be until you can't smell paint when you're holding your nose to the surface of the model. So, of course, I've heard, I've, I know there's some people who can't smell it to begin with, so in which I think they're kind of blessed, but <laughs> it doesn't work so well either. <laughs> when you tell them you got to do it until you can't smell it anymore. <laughs> I'm just thinking if, uh, if I can't smell it, go up to my wife. Can you smell this? Yeah, I, that's going to go over well. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I usually get complaints about smells in, in the house from paints and thinners. Well, I will, I will get the occasional, even though I do have the expensive $500 U.S. spray booth, I do get the occasional smell when the wind is coming just from the wrong direction. So that the, you know, in, in theory, the airbrush is working against whatever wind is pushing on the outside of the house. And yeah, then I will get a little bit of smell back in the house, but generally I don't have that problem anymore. So. All right. Uh, Bob also had another question uh, about fini uh, paint, uh, finished paint polishing products and methods which I think we've covered pretty extensively uh, in this episode. I think we did that today. Yeah. <laughs> removing dust and fuzz. Any special techniques you have for removing dust and fuzz? Well, if you happen to catch it, uh, you know, if you're willing to stop airbrushing when you notice something has just land in, landed in your finish, you can generally pull, pull it out with a piece of tape that you've uh, rolled around on its, rolled over on its back, if you get what I mean, the sticky side out. And if you're very gentle, you can just lift it right out. If not, well, wait until it has dried. Of course, it does mean you have to stop painting. <laughs> wait until it's dried and then polish and then go back to painting. Yeah, finish finish the coat that you're on. Finish the yeah, you may as well finish the coat I always have. So yeah. <laughs> I've I've had mixed luck with trying to pull dust and, and fuzz off hits. Again, I've probably got more of a heavy touch. Once in a while, I'll end up touching, you know, getting a little close, touching something. And because you have wet paint that it's just landed in, you got to be very careful that you don't disturb any previous paint. Because even if you're working on layers, that paint now will soften up the layer that's before it. So I've ended up creating a bigger mess for myself. Quite often, I will put put it in a dehydrator for... Five, ten minutes, not enough to stop painting and putting everything away. Just put it in a dehydrator, let it dry enough that I can then get a little piece of uh, fine, very fine sandpaper or polishing cloth in and just remove it that way and then go back to my next coat. Yep, that works. You can do that. Okay. I think that's all for our questions. If you have any more questions, feel free to reach out to John or myself, uh, our website is modelcar.show. That has our email address and ways to get a hold of us on that one. Uh, one closing shout out. I'd like to give a thanks to Pat Redmond, who was giving us a bit of a hard time. I guess he feels that we're not focusing enough on the auto paint guys. <laughs> so I think we're going to have to have a chat to Pat and maybe get him to come on and give us uh, a little bit of feedback on the auto paint side of things. Cause I don't think either of us use too much of the auto auto paint, but uh, thanks very much for the support, Pat. Really appreciate the, the kind words. Yeah. And, and if you've ever have the opportunity, if anybody's ever actually met Pat, like I have great guides, somebody you definitely want to vi visit with if you get the opportunity to. Anything else that you would like to bring up, John? Uh, well, <laughs> since we're talking about it, uh, we mentioned earlier that, uh, we were having trouble getting the Chevelle and Mustangs, the new Ravel Chevelle and Mustangs in Canada. Well, Pat has been, was nice enough to dip across the border into Detroit and he's got me what I need for Chevelles and Mustangs and they should be here in another week or so. So by the next episode, <laughs> we can talk about those two just to see what uh, John thinks of them. <laughs> so yeah, thanks Pat. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta have to talk to Pat about this muling thing. You know, I I, I need a hookup as well. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that has been everything for our episode four on sanding and polishing. 
Thanks to everybody that's showing our their support, that's listening, and we appreciate everybody's time. Uh, we can be found at our website, modelcar.show. Uh, we can be found on Facebook at Model Car Podcast, Twitter at Model Car Podcast, and also Instagram at the same address. If you want to send us an email, our email address is modelcarpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, and thank you for listening. Okay, say goodbye, John. Goodbye, John. <laughs>